Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have on as a guest host, Carolyn Blaker, the principal and founder at Petrogriff Creative. How are you doing, Carolyn? Very well. And I already messed up your name. It's Caroline. <laughs> it's okay. It happens to everybody. And we also have on, as our special guest today, we have Dr. Thomas Anthony, the VP of product at SearchPilot. How are you doing, Tom? Hey, very good. Thank you. How's it going? Going good. And the reason we have you on is we want to talk to you about the science of SEO. So we, if we were out in Salisbury, Wiltshire, England, and you were getting ready to perform a traditional dance at the winter solstice ceremony at Stonehenge, and a druid leans over on his staff and to the beat of a tablet drum asks you, is SEO really a science? What would you tell him? Well, actually, like I've, I think that guy tried to sell me some links for some SEO purposes. So <laughs> I'm sure I might he know did. him. I might know him. I've met him at a conference. Yeah. Wow, what an intro. So, um, yeah, it should be a science, but it traditionally hasn't been. Like you're going to get me ranting right from the outset if you're not careful. But I want you to rant. You want me to rant? I can rant. I do. Well, so I, I, I guess I'll give you a really quick introduction to my recent history, which is. 10 years ago, I, I'd been doing SEO for myself for a while, and I found out I was going to be a father, so I was like, I better get one of those job things. And I got a job at Distilled, which is a relatively well-known um, SEO agency, sort of boutique agency, and I became an SEO consultant, but I had a web dev background, I had an academic background. And so I did, did this for a few years, consulted with some of the world's largest companies, some of the world's smallest companies on, on SEO. And basically, the academic in me was frustrated at the lack of science in SEO. Mm. Like SEO, I, I mean, I'm, I think most of your audience are more web dev centric and SEO has pretty bad reputation right. historically for the shady stuff that SEO people get up to, what their motives are, how they, how they work, etc., and I was doing SEO at the top end of SEO where people were doing it for the right reasons, but it still just had, had this sort of lack of scientific rigor being applied to it because you would, you'd look at what Google recommended and what you'd tried historically for other people and you'd make a whole bunch of changes to a website, but not in isolation. Mm. And the website doesn't operate in isolation. It's, you've got Google who are making hundreds of algorithm changes all the time. You've got your competitors changing stuff and like, it just, it frustrated me because we don't know what part of what we're doing is having a positive effect. Is some of it having a negative effect? Is some of it doing nothing? And overall for distilled, like we generally saw good results over time, but we could be doing this much better, I thought. And so I started thinking about how can we do this more scientifically? Yeah, because the scientific method, you make one change and then you see the difference in the result, right? You can't just change 10 things at once and be like, oh, it must be attributed to that one thing that I think it is, right? Exactly. You need to isolate the changes you're making. And also, while some testing is better than no testing, like most testing that was being done is, okay, we'll make a single change and we'll wait and see what happens. But you've made a single change. But as I said, Google are changing things all the time. That's going to have an impact. And your competitors, they're not sitting around doing nothing. They're also changing stuff. And so does the scientific method. There's not an isolated variable here that we can look at. And so you really don't know, okay, you change something and you start getting more traffic. But the change you made could have been negative. It could have been that you're going to get even more traffic. It's just that Google rolled out an algorithm update that day. Yeah. Yeah, it's like doing physics experiments, but the gravitational concept keeps changing. You can't actually see results for two weeks at, at minimum. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And you're you're right, Tom. I mean, the, the SEO business kind of has a bad rep, but I don't, you know, and part of it is deserved, but part of it is not, right? And I, I sort of think of it as uh, being kind of analogous to the the health industry, where you have everything from actual health scientists that are just amazing and do work with top athletes and do some incredible nutritional work with them to the scumbags that are peddling weight loss pills on the street corner. You know what I mean? And yeah. you have that whole range in yeah. SEO as well. And I mean, the, the situation is even worse for SEO because SEO as as a sort of niche, niche as you'd say in the US, um, as, as evolved so much in the mm. 20 years that we've been doing it and it's changed what it is significantly during that period so seo as, as a sort of concept has changed and then as you say you've got people you've still got people i get emails all the time from seos uh, in some not normally a, a sort of cheap labor country firing out emails oh we'll get you to the top of google we'll do this we'll get you links etc and so they make it yeah hard for the rest of us to get the respect. But at the, at the top end, SEO over the last 10, 15 years has grown significantly in terms of the C-suite and how much attention they're going to be paying to that because they're starting to learn this is an important discipline and it's a mature discipline now. And so, yeah, it's not all the, the, the peddlers that was, once was. Now there's a sort of balance. Yeah. And if you're doing work at the top end, you are definitely doing it for the right reasons. And they, they are because the results are being measured. And if yeah. you're not, if you're not performing, you're not going to be doing the job. But the, I think one of the reasons why people are so vulnerable to it, the kind of the snake oil salesman aspect of it is very similar again to the health industry in that everyone wants, everyone yeah. wants to look great in their bikini. Everyone wants a six pack abs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, it's easy and to, it's, yeah. It's addictive yeah. To, to believe you can get that cheaply or for free. Yeah. Right. And it, oh, you mean I can just take a pill and I'm going to have a six pack? Like fantastic. Sign me up. And it's just as ridiculous to think that you could just do some little trick and be at the top of the the Google ratings, right? Yeah. So you so you're looking at trying to you know the question that was asked initially was is SEO really a science? And I guess the answer would be if you approach it scientifically. That's yeah, that's the thing. But like when we started doing what we do now, the question was how can we approach this with the the level of scientific rigor that we know it deserves? Because as I said, like. The traditional approach for testing an SEO change was to make a change and then wait it out. But that's not really testing an isolated change. It's not doing a controlled experiment. And so the first question we had was how to do that. And then before before we get into that more, like going back a little bit, what you're saying, people like want that cheap and easy route. And that was even happening when I started SEO at the top end. And mm. so we would have clients coming to us and saying, oh, can I, like, we want to do this. We want to buy some links and just get some, <laughs> some no. and easy. And that was happening. And they had huge budgets for it. But, yeah. but Distilled, like I was lucky that like I'd entered the, the industry working at a place like Distilled. We'd ask ourselves, one, does this deserve to rank? Because mm. if it doesn't, then we're doing the wrong thing from the outset. Firstly, we need to work out, does this deserve to rank? Is it going to be beneficial to users, people who find it? And, and that was, so that was one thing. And then we, we spent a lot of time like trying to dissuade clients from doing something that we knew wasn't going to have longevity. And that was one of our key focuses, longevity. Is mm -hmm. the change that we're proposing, is the SEO work that we're proposing to do now, is it still going to be beneficial in two years? Are we going to be glad in two years that we did this? And and there was still a lot of SEO work going on where 
the answer wasn't necessarily yes in the industry, I mean. Like, people would be doing work because they knew that over the next few weeks, next couple of months, we're going to get more traffic. But then Google are going to catch up with you. And so, yeah, the question was, does this deserve to rank? Are we going to be happy in two years that we did this thing? And not only could it potentially not rank when they make changes to their algorithm, but also there were a number of (laughs) high-profile companies that were in very awkward positions because they had done, quote-unquote, black hat SEO stuff that then ended up get getting punished by Google, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a constant game of cat and mouse with the black hat SEOs who will come up with techniques and like link networks, whatever it might be, to try to dupe Google. And that's exactly why the question of, are we going to be grateful that we did this in two years, yep. is a good one in SEO. Because those sorts of techniques... You can figure out that Google are going to catch up with you and they're going to punish you for it. So you're not going to be happy you did this in two years. And a lot of what like people in SEO focus a lot on ranking factors. You know, mm. can we pull this lever? Is it going to make things better? Right. And a lot of the the sort of so-called ranking factors aren't because Google cares about that specific thing. It's because it's a proxy to something that Google really cares about. Mm. The, the most recent example is Core Web Vitals, which I, I don't know, like your, your listeners might not be familiar with it. This is basically a set of metrics that Google have rolled out that measures your website performance in terms of how quickly does the first meaningful paint, like how quickly do you, does the user see something that is useful to them? What's the time for that? What's the layout shift? So is the that's something developers will be very familiar with? Like is the page glitching around and you know how frustrating it is when you try to click a link and it moves before you, you, you click registers. And so Google have got these metrics and they've announced that in May 2021, these are to become direct ranking factors. So you can measure these in Chrome in, in the Lighthouse tool. And you can you can see how your, your site performs against these metrics. And it'll tell you what percentage, like what percentile, sorry, you're, you're in. But they, we know they're going to become ranking factors. But Google doesn't really care about these specific things. What they care about are users having a good time on your website when they arrive. Is this a good result? Are Google going to regret sending people to this site? And that's always been the way. Google of these metrics, these ranking factors, that they're proxies for something real. And a lot of Black Hat SEO is focused on, can we trick the lever? Can we trick the proxy, but not really deliver the thing that they're trying to measure? Yeah, it's like a fad diet, you know, where you, yeah, okay. You go on this crash fad diet and you'll lose weight, but you're going to be twice as fat in a couple of months, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And I think the the other frustration for us at Distilled was we'd make a lot of recommendations um, for technical SEO changes to a site. So you mm-hmm. need to change the content on these pages. You need to change this HTML in this way, whatever it might be. And we learned, we worked with a lot of clients on a retained basis where we were working with them every month. And then we mm-hmm. worked on some with some clients on a, a playbook basis where they would come to us with a specific project, do an audit, whatever it might be. And we'd do that for a couple of months and then we'd give them this audit and they'd go away. And it happened all too often that a client who we'd done an audit for 12 months before would come back to us a year later and say, okay, we, we want to do another audit. And so we'd say, okay, how did, it, how did you get on with the stuff that we told you to do before? And I said, oh, well, we couldn't actually do any of those changes because of the legacy platform we're on and the dev Mm. backlog. 
etc. So we haven't done any of that, but can you do another audit? So we'd like take it out of the cupboard, dust it off. Here's the audit from last year. Go and do this. You can pay us again if you want, but like right. do this. And it was anecdotally, like seems to be a problem with, with bigger organizations where they've got distributed teams, huge numbers of different web services do, supplying different parts of their website, etc. Where for various reasons they couldn't make various technical changes to their site. Mm-hmm. You want to add structured markup to your site. Oh no, we can't do that. There's no there's no scope for that in our CMS. Good God, your revenues hundreds of millions a year. <laughs> you're telling me you can't make this change to your site. And so that was the secondary frustration as, as for us as consultants. Like, we but Tom, to you're going you're gonna to really like this, I think. This is really relevant to what you were just talking about. So we had Harry Roberts on here a few months ago. He's, a, he's also from the UK and he specializes in doing web performance work. And he was doing an audit on a, a site and he noticed that it was running, I believe it was Optimizely, but it wasn't the server side one. It was the client side where everything yeah. was done via JavaScript. So it had the that horrible jank thing that, that goes on yeah. where you load the page and then it refreshes and it does, you know, whatever. And then you have the observer effect stuff going on that you don't know if people are bouncing in your A-B test because of the jank and the terrible performance or because they yeah. actually like the content better. You have no idea. Anyway, he went in there and he's, he, he recommended that they remove this thing because this was hurting the performance of the site and they, they should get rid of it. And they said, oh, no, no, we we can't remove that. And he's like, well, why, why not? Why, can you, why do you need this in there? I know where this is going. Go on. <laughs> you probably do. And he said, well, we, we can't remove that because that's how we update the website. So... <laughs> <laughs> their CMS, their CMS wouldn't let them edit, or they didn't like it, or something like that. So they just would edit the in optimizely. They would just like edit the page. So the the canonical page was a, a split test that was in there. Yeah, site. they went the what? other way around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds depressing, but that's we've come across quite a few companies doing exactly that, using a, yeah. a client-side JS split test tool to, to, as their CMS. How okay. did you get into this situation? So can we agree that client-side split testing is probably a terrible idea? Well, I mean, I, I'm obviously biased for reasons that we'll talk about, but... I don't think it's a terrible idea, but I think it's an imperfect technology. It's just hard to do that because, as you said, the observer effect, you can't run the experiment without also impacting aspects and behaviors of that page. You get the jank with the glitch where it flickers from one view to another. You've already added JavaScript to the page, so you've added weight to that page. So if we're talking about core web vitals again, that's going to impact those metrics and Google's going to have a negative view of that. Yeah, so it's... But that's that's what's imperfect. I would say, from my mindset, doing normally under all else being equal, doing some sort of testing is better than doing no testing. The problem is, like, you shouldn't be using that to edit your website, and you need you should, if your website is so ill performant that this is making things so much worse, then you're yeah you're you're better off just not trying to do those tests and just getting your website sorted first. Because well, you here's should the be thing, though. Here's the thing, though. And the reason why I, I, my personal view is, I didn't mean to voice my personal view on you, but I think it's terrible. And the reason I think it's terrible is you you don't know what you're measuring. You can yeah. put in content changes and the results may be that, that it looks like that content is better, but you honestly don't know whether it's as a result of the jank and the performance changes 
changes that, that are in there or the actual content that changed, you don't know. And yeah. what you said about testing, you know, some testing is better than no testing. I mean, that's true, except, you know, what if you went into the doctor and you had some kind of a test performed and they told you you had some kind of a disease, <laughs> but it but it was a mistake, right? Oh, is it yeah, still is it, is it still good that some testing was done or is that false positive potentially harmful to you? You know what I mean? I think it's so, less the false positive and more the observer effect. Like, but if, yeah, as I said, like some sites, they're trying to do testing with Optimizely or something similar. Yeah. And the website is already so slow that yeah. they'd be far better off taking that off of their site and focusing their energy more on sorting out those fundamental problems. You should be sorting out your fundamental problems before you yes. worry you, about testing. Did you ever have clients come to you? And this is where Caroline might want to jump in and, and get in the discussion on this. But did you ever have a client come to you and they wanted you to do some kind of get us to rank in Google and you analyze their site and they just need better content? And you, you did you ever go back to them and say, look, you just need better content. Like that, you need to focus on the fundamentals and have something that people are actually interested in rather than trying to boost something that people are not. Has that ever happened? Yeah. And I think it would, it's the kind of thing where if I know the person, I would tell them that. Otherwise I would just say, I don't think we can help you because I'm not going to get into a discussion <laughs> with somebody with that has those sorts of expectations on the outset that ultimately just says, I can't do that. And that might be all that they hear. Well, I'll just tell them that. But if it's yeah. a friend, I might say, here's why. Yeah. No, that my experience was the same with We'd sometimes turn clients away just because, as I said, we'd ask that question, does this deserve to rank? And the answer was no. Yeah. And so I'm like, we can't help you unless you're willing to fundamentally improve your offering in terms of because business. If you're, let's say it's some kind of a content website, whatever that content may be. And if their content is garbage, to then do a whole lot of work promoting that garbage seems a little backwards, you know, focus on making the actual content good, you know, and then then you can look at trying to maybe boost the rankings up. I just wonder how much the, the fundamentals matter when it comes to SEO. Well, I mean, you're also going to be having a really hard time seeing any success with a website like that because mm. you can try your hardest to optimize technical SEO and try some like content marketing, etc. But if their, their core offering is lacking, then users aren't going to want to do do that and use them. And I mean, we're, we're seeing that more and more in SEO, um, which is another reason why testing is so important in my mind. Google using user data as a, a means to understanding whether a website should be ranking or not. Like in the early days of SEO, that wasn't really the case. Nowadays, we know that they're looking at user metrics. Are people enjoying a site measured in various ways as a means to determine whether you deserve to rank? Yeah. And what is their intent in their search and a whole bunch of other things, right? Or getting have, factored in there. Have they found what they're looking for? And yeah. 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 Exactly. So, okay, you don't, you're being far nicer than I am. I'm going to say, I'm still just going to say, I think client side A B testing is a terrible idea. You work at a company called Search Pilot that yeah. you do A B testing. How do you do A B testing and how do you do it right? And what is, just for anyone who may not be familiar with A B testing, like what is it to begin with? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, like these were frustrations that came up at Distilled. And so I was a consultant there and I pitched. I think three times that we should start an R&D department to start mm. looking into this stuff more seriously. Eventually, I think they just got bored of me pitching it and they let me they let me go off and start this team. And we started looking at various things. And eventually we we, we came across the, the idea that now, as of just over a year ago, we spun it out as a separate company from Distilled, so a pure SaaS company doing this. And basically, we were looking to solve those two problems. How can we 
take a more scientific, data-driven approach to SEO? Mm. And how can we help clients and customers implement the changes, even if it's just an initial implementation in order to get that test done? And so what we came up with is a platform that basically operates as a reverse proxy. So it's most of our clients are a fairly large sort of enterprise scale. We're trying to get to a point where this is, we can offer this as smaller businesses. I'll touch on that later. But basically what happens is most of our clients have a CDN. So they're using Cloudflare or Akamai or Fastly, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. to speed up their, their site. And so requests come into their CDN and then the CDN will forward those requests onto their origin server to, to serve the HTML, static assets, their JavaScript, CSS, images will all be served from CDN, but the HTML is normally coming from the server. And so what Search Pilot does is it sits between the CDN and that origin server. So requests come in, they go through Search Pilot network on the on the way to the server. And then the, the server replies with a blob of HTML, which Search Pilot sees before the CDN sees. And at that point, we're able to modify that HTML and so do server-side changes to the page before passing it up to the CDN. So there's mm. no jank or any of that stuff because the, the page gets served to the user and they see the page as though your CMS had made those changes. They, there's no way for them to know what was responsible for generating that HTML. Yeah, that's the way to do it because then you're cutting out one of those potential variables that could be affecting people's behavior, right? Exactly. I mean, for us, obviously, performance is is a huge consideration because we don't want to slow the page down. So typically, it takes us somewhere between three to five milliseconds to make the changes to the HTML before we pass upstream. Mm -hmm. So for most websites, that's a rounding error in terms of how quickly they're getting the HTML to the user. But before we dig deeper into the sort of technology and how how we make the changes, how we measure the changes, like you asked about what is A-B testing for those who don't know. So, I mean, A-B testing is just the concept of running a controlled experiment so that you can be sure that the thing that you're trying to test, whatever it might be, there's nothing else affecting those results. And so A-B testing on the web has been around for more than 20 years already, mostly focused on doing conversion rate optimization. This is testing for users. And in this scenario, you and I might see different variations of a page. So imagine that we want to buy some cigars. And so we, we do some we do a, a web search and we both happen to land on the same cigar website on a product category page. You might see a version where the prices are listed more prominently and there's smaller images, for example. And that's the normal page. Whereas I see a page where the images are larger, the price isn't so front and center. And so we're basically seeing a variation of the design of the page. You do that for thousands of users and you've got your two two buckets, your control users who are seeing the normal page and your variant users who are seeing the, the modified page. And that's your A and your B bucket. And then basically what you can do across the metrics for thousands of users, you can say, okay, well, we got a thousand users to A, we got a thousand users to B. In the A group, we got 23 sales. In the B group, we got 42 sales. And so you can then do some maths and you can determine, okay, well, we can be 95% confident that the, the B group is actually 7 to 8% better in terms of conversion. More people who are land on that that B design are likely to buy our cigars or whatever it might be. And so it's it's a great way to do this sort of controlled experiment because everything else about these users, you've got thousand users in A, thousand in B, 
So you're testing for different demographics and they're all getting like the, the page is broadly similar, being served from the same server, et cetera. So everything else is, is the same. If you roll out a different change to this page during the lifetime of the test, so you change the navigation, for example, that affects both groups evenly. So you're controlling for all the other variables. All the other variables are affecting both groups in a completely the same way. The only difference is this design variable, the page layout. And so, yeah, now you can gather some confidence saying, okay, well, we should use design B and roll that out. And then you can continue to do this and continue in an iterative sort of fashion across various parts of your website trying to make these improvements. Is this and sort so- of like is this sort of like a technical version of the Pepsi challenge? You know, where they used to sit people, they, they would actually do this, oh, where yeah. they would go all over the country. I don't know if they did it in the UK, but they did it in the US. They would go all over the country and they would have people blind taste test the Coke and Pepsi and say which one they liked. You know, you're, that's kind of what you're doing, right? Here are two different things. Which one do you like? Basically, yeah. So you're, and in that test, in that Pepsi challenge, you'd make sure that they're in the same cup. You'd yes. make sure that you're presenting them in the same fashion. You make sure that everything else about this was being done the same. Because if you serve the blue cup, the blue cup for Pepsi and the red cup for Coke, then maybe they just prefer red. Right. And it's a different variable that's affecting the outcome. And that's true for A-B testing as well. You have to make sure that everything's, like, or any sort of testing, you have to make sure that you're controlling for this. And, and that's, just to abuse the analogy, the, if, oh. if the front-end performance is bad, that would be like you served one, you served the Pepsi warm and the Coke cold. You know what that's, I mean? That's exactly the observer challenge you're talking about yeah. with something like yeah. Optimus. Like the actual running of the test is impacting your ability to measure the results and you're yeah. changing what you're measuring. And I guess and the so, only other difference is that you're dealing in aggregates, right? So we're t- the Pepsi challenge, we're talking about one person that tries two things. In your case, you're aggregating just yeah, a you, mass number of people to determine it, right? We have to, like even in the Pepsi challenge, you have to because maybe the one guy who just sat down to try it has just had a hot dog or a lollipop or drank a beer, whatever. And so his mouth is a little bit of a, you know, taste different. It's like when you've got toothpaste in your mouth and you eat your breakfast and you regret but what, with the Pepsi challenge, what you might do is do that for 2,000 people. And then you say, oh, yeah, we did this for 2,000 people. 1,300 people preferred the Pepsi over the Coke. And so, like, we're, you know, 60% better, whatever. This is exactly the same principle. And so this is fairly established on the web for, for testing for users. And people doing conversion rate optimization knew that testing is absolutely essential because users are unpredictable. As much as we like to pretend or imagine that we can understand what a human's going to do, often you can't. And so that was already established and taken for granted. But in SEO, it was very different. Users weren't a concern and you were mainly focusing on Google and, oh, it's Google's got these guidelines that you should follow and they're giving out advice. And so you're trying to do the right thing, etc. And so there was no real testing going on. And it also was not clear how you would do A-B testing for yeah. SEO. And so I'll I'll outline exactly how we do it. So basically, with user testing, we are creating two buckets of users, an A bucket and a B bucket, breaking users into two, two buckets. With SEO testing, you can't do it in that fashion because you can think of it as that we're only testing against one user which is Google, Googlebot. Mm. And so we really want to know, you've got all these product pages, you've got a thousand product pages. We want to know, does Google prefer these pages if the price is in the title or not, as a simple example. Mm. And so what we do instead is rather than bucket users into two groups, what we do is we bucket those pages into two groups. Because you've got a thousand pages here. They've all got the same template. Got it. The content is similar across them. So individual pages, just like individual users might be different, individual pages might be different, but you do it across a large collection of them and they're homogenous. You're sort of expecting them to, to average out. And so 
What we'll do is you've got a thousand product pages. We'll roll out a change to 500 of those pages and leave the other 500 as they were. So they're our control group. And then we've made a change, for example, putting the price in the title to the other group. And now what we can do is we can start to look at how much traffic is Google sending each of these groups? And we can start to look at, does one of these groups outperform the other? I don't know if you want to get into the maths of this more. It's, the maths is more complicated than it is with, with CRO testing. But the, the principle here is, once again, everything else, if there's a Google algorithm update, that's going to affect both groups of pages. Sure. If your competitors are making changes, that's going to affect both groups of pages. If your developers update your navigation, that's going to affect both groups of pages. And so every other variable is controlled for. And now we can attribute the change in Google organic Google traffic to these two groups of pages. We can attribute that to the change that we're looking at, and we can start to determine confidence. Yes, yeah, so that's that really clever. That's really clever. So effectively what you're doing, since you only have one user, you're making the the pay, the change is the user, right? So in other words, if you add, like you said, the price to the title across a thousand pages, now you've got a thousand people on either side where one has a title, one has the price in the title and the other doesn't. And those effectively become the user in the, if you flipped it around and yeah, Googlebot is the same. Yeah, that's yeah, really so clever. Googlebot will see 500 pages without the title, uh, the price in the title. It'll see 500 pages. Individual pages might be different, but the body, the cohort in each group is the same. And so, right. yeah. That's really interesting. Caroline, I'd like to, I'm curious because you do a whole lot of work with content. Um, that's right. A-B testing is something where it's it's interesting because before A-B testing was done with any kind of content, sort of that was curated, right? You would have an expert that was creating the content that hopefully was crafted well, but that was that was all that was done. How do you handle that in terms of content creation and structure? And do you use any kind of A-B testing in the wild with this stuff? Or do you, people even used to do focus group testing, right? So before there was this kind of mass technology to do it, you'd call in, you know, 10, 20 people and you'd ask them, which ones do you prefer, you know, but that right. doesn't give you a very big sample size. So how do you, how do you do this, Carol? Well, speaking of sample size, we have a very small clientele. And for the most part, these like larger sort of enterprise grade processes don't apply to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still very much interested in the client's story, however, and that's really where our content strategy comes from. Too many businesses sort of don't tell their story. And a lot of people want to see that honestly, they want to see the story come through. They want to know why the business is there before they settle in and decide if they're going to, to do whatever they're going to do at that website. So our content strategy isn't overly focused on scientific metrics. It's really um, telling the story in as many ways and facets as possible. Where did the materials come from? Uh, what colors are chosen? Are they derivative of any other beautiful things in the world? Things that are trying to capture the imagination of the user. Our business is a little bit more focused on uh, niche brands like that. But Well, let's say you were to try and do something like that. Let's say you wrote some copy for a landing page. And let's say someone at the, the client's company wrote some other copy. And you decided, you know, probably something that happens informally is just people will say, hey, which one do you like better? Which one resonates? You know, what works? What doesn't work? If you threw this stuff out in the wild, do you think it would be useful to you to know which page Googlebot prefers 
customers and which page people prefer in terms of their bounce rate or their conversion rate is better based on the content that is there. That would absolutely be very helpful. Yeah, because even if you're a skilled writer and you're a skilled marketer, you still are kind of writing what you think people want to hear. <laughs> and it's probably pretty good. You know what I mean? It's you're very experienced. You, I'm saying you in the royal you, you're writing something that is probably really good, but you, you still there's that lingering bit of doubt. Like, do, is this do people actually like this? Is this resonating? And does that appeal to you that you might be able to have some actual data to back it up to say, no, people definitely prefer this. It's interesting because on the one hand, there's sort of an art to it where you can't really go by what people think in some sort of closed period of time following a decision to do a test. Some of it is built an audience over time or even just appearing as yourself in the most honest fashion, which you cannot A-B test. Right. So if, it's a matter of really, if your strategy is really get the most audience based on keyword overlap, or if it's build strategy over time with being yourself in a website format as much as possible. Yeah. Well, I want to see if we can wake Patrick up here. I think he might be, he might've actually headed out to In-N-Out Burger again. He does that sometimes, Tom, <laughs> by the way, during podcasts, sometimes he goes out to In-N-Out Burger. We don't know if he's still here or not. So Patrick, oh, you, have you ever done anything with, with AB testing with clients? I have. Yeah. Um, we had an A-B test we ran oh, a few months ago and ended up finding a, a 50% increase in conversions based on it. It was actually, it was literally our first time doing A-B testing with this client and it changed their conversions quite a bit. Yeah, I believe in A-B testing, although I also, we've talked about maybe focus groups or, or something like that being the thing of the past and we need to test something in a large scale. I think there is something to be said for getting a more qualitative than quantitative approach to testing. And sometimes you can't do that just by looking at metrics. Sometimes just having someone sitting in front of you telling you how you, how they feel about the brand and how the site works and how it doesn't work can tell you more than you might get from a change in conversion and or maybe lead you in the direction of what changes you need to make to rectify those issues rather than thinking, you know, let, let's tweak this and see if it moves the needle a little bit or let's alter that. Sometimes, you know, you might have a site that is just so problematic that you're kind of nipping around the edges when really you need to change how the entire navigation works, something else that you might not know without getting, you know, a more, a more qualitative reaction to a website. If this whole practice is like a tree, I feel like A-B testing is somewhere out further on the limbs closer to the leaves where sometimes you've got a systemic problem with the root system or even the trunk of the site. Yeah, it's like, you know, you've got this house that hasn't been touched in 50 years and you're thinking, oh, maybe if we you know, update the faucets, that will really, but meanwhile, the kitchen is, you know, trapped in 1960 and you're, you're trying to like see if you can, you know, increase conversions by a half a percent when really you need to just demo the kitchen and, and just change it over, you know, quite a bit. So before you go into Tom's lab and you sit on his bike and he hooks the instruments up to you and he measures you, probably you should stop eating cake every day, you know, yeah, like get the, get the basics get the basics done before you get out there. The other thing too, like, you know, we've talked about clients where, you know, you're not going to be able to be able to rank for what you want to rank. I mean, we could all just say, okay, fine, Google, let's just buy some pay-per-click ads because it's been frustrating. But man, that seems like it's where Google's going. And it almost seems like organic SEO is kind of a dying breed, in my opinion. Well, thankfully, we have someone on here. (laughs) Thankfully, we have someone on here who has a PhD. And uh, presumably, Tom has something to say about your sample size of one, Tom. So what do you think? Wow. Don't trigger me, guys. Uh, (laughs) We we spent all this time trying to figure out what's going on in the black box of Google and what's coming down in there. But man, like they've dedicated the first 
first 60% of their page at this point to ads. And yeah, you know, I even Googled something recently and all the, what I thought was Google shopping, that was all ads now. It, it, it's a little no, frustrating. No, that happened to me too. That yeah. happened to me too. Like, oh, here are the best products. Oh no, it's the paid products up here. We're not even getting what it thinks are the most relevant products in, in the shopping carousel. And it, it's a little bit disheartening. You know, you talked about that client. It, it, yeah, just tell them to throw some pay-per-click at the problem because honestly, that's in some ways the only way that they're going to rank for some of these search terms. Tom, help us out. Should we give up and just pay Google? What's the deal? Absolutely not. I mean, PPC, I think, plays an important role and companies should definitely be doing some PPC. But there's also some recent articles coming out about companies that just stopped their ad spend on PPC, etc. And so there's no real impact to doing that. And what's addictive about PPC is what SearchPilot is trying to fix about SEO in that with PPC, you can measure the ROI. You can say, oh, we spent this many dollars and we got this many dollars in return. And historically, that has been a huge challenge for SEO because the PPC guys could go in to the C-suite and say, okay, we're going to spend this much and we're going to get this. This is what we did last quarter. We made you this many. And they write a huge number on the whiteboard with a dollar sign next to it. And then the the, the SEOs go into the C-suite and they're like, yeah, we fixed your meta tags and we had a canonical. (laughs) And the the guys in the suits are like, what the are you talking about? Like, where's the money? And that's basically one of the things we set out to fix with with SearchPilot because our experience for 15 years at Distilled was that there's real money in SEO and organic traffic that drives them still drives the lion's share of the traffic but the there's no way to, to measure that and so the, the SEO team couldn't go in and say oh here's the dollars but that's exactly what search by that fixes that's what it doesn't need to be searched by that any sort of AB testing allows you to start attributing an ROI to the to the effort you're putting into SEO we ran 12 experiments in the last quarter there were three like which were negative. We call those dodge bullets. They're useful to run because these are things we would have rolled out and they would have done us harm. We wouldn't have known. Then there's a, a bunch of neutral things where there hasn't been an impact. So we're just going to not bother doing those and save the developer resource. And then there's these few things that we, we've actually rolled out. And look, we're making $240,000 a month more because of that. And suddenly SEO becomes a whole lot more attractive when you can start to measure that dollar number. But I think the, the conversation just before touched on some really important points. One is that expertise, they align the idea of A-B testing and the expertise because you need people like Caroline and her team who can drive forward quality content because A-B testing is only useful if you've got well-established ideas and hypotheses of why you're going to be doing this thing. That's one of the, the critical things that anyone doing A-B t- testing. Don't thank just you. Thank you. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> I've been involved with companies that there's someone working in a capacity there and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to run this uh, A-B test. I'm going to change this headline from uh, this font to that font and uh, see how it works. There's yeah. no thesis. There's nothing. Yeah. They're just like, I'm just going to throw this at the wall and see what happens. F-A-F-O. I mean, that's, that's fine. But the problem is that you can only do a finite amount of A-B testing in any time window because you can't be running multiple tests on top of each other. Right. And so... I was really totally going to ask you that. Well, you can run different tests on different parts of the site. But no, we absolutely should be leaning on expertise. And at Search yes. Pilot, like we help with ideation, but we also look to the customer to, to give us, like, why do you think we should be doing 
this thing or that thing. And experts like Caroline on, okay, what would be the best, highest impact thing we could do? And then we'll go away and we'll help you measure the impact of that. Even if we're confident it's going to like be an uplift, measuring it is still useful because we can measure that the ROI and get you more budget for next quarter. But yeah, absolutely. It sort of goes hand in hand with the expertise. Well, Secondly, that's a key part of the scientific method is having a hypothesis, right? I mean, that is oh, literally yeah. part of the scientific method. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the, the second thing which Patrick touched on, which is really interesting, is he, he talked about running the, the CRO experiment and that they got an, an uplift in conversions and that's fantastic. But we started doing SEO AB testing. And then after a while, there was a situation one day where we had a client who came to us and they said the, the CRO team tested this change and it's got a, a 12% uplift and they, they want to roll it out. It's a significant uplift. And we're like, oh, yeah, okay. And we decided we're going to test this same change for SEO. It was a 25% downturn. So in the old world where you had the CRO team doing testing, but the SEO team weren't doing testing, this change would have rolled out. And the CRO team would have gone into the C-suite and been like, Look, we made you some money because we got a 12% uplift. Give us more budget. <laughs> Job done. And the SEO team would have been coming under fire. For why, why are things going down? And it was the same change. And this is just one long funnel. The first part of the funnel is getting people onto your site. And then the second half of the funnel is helping them convert. So whatever it might be, buying a product once they're on the site. But it's all the same funnel with the same goals and everything. And so nowadays, yeah, an essential part of web A-B testing in my mind is to try to find the connection between these two disciplines mm. and start to test the whole thing in, in one if you can or on two sets of tests but work out like where's the trade-off and so the point here is like A-B testing is great but you need to make sure like are, are there going to be effects elsewhere right and you know a scientist wouldn't just randomly go out and decide to start you know tasting foliage to see what tastes good they'd have some reasonable idea of areas that you know of certain types of things that they might try to eat you know what so, I mean well to stick with your Pepsi challenge yeah okay imagine you're a restaurant and you, you, you run into Pepsi challenge because you want to you're serving coke but you want to know would people prefer pepsi so you test it blind test and pepsi comes out 52 percent versus 48 mm percent -hmm. i shouldn't use that because that's the, the brexit split and that triggers me as a british person but <laughs> um <laughs> but so, so so pepsi comes out and it's just ahead and so if you the CRO team, to keep the analogy, SEO and CROs are, are both are both responsible for this. And so if you're a restaurant, you say, okay, wait, well, the people prefer Pepsi, so we're going to switch to Pepsi. But what you don't realize is an hour later, the Pepsi makes people feel bloated. Hmm. And so now you start to get worse reviews for your restaurant because people come away and they're feeling bloated and they're not feeling good after eating at your restaurant. Hmm. But your test said Pepsi was better right. because of the taste. But the taste isn't the whole story. And that's yeah. the same with CRO and SEO. They're both parts of the same, that you've got the same goals, but they're different parts of the funnel. And you can't just test them in isolation and be done with it. So it sounds like testing without expertise is kind of, it's futile. You know, what's the, what's the point in testing if you don't have some expertise that was done into forming the hypothesis and then also interpreting what the data says, right? 
exactly. well, it has the worth of like guessing games, which can be fun and perhaps educational, but it's not necessarily <laughs> something you can do with the C-suite money on the line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense, you know, to get back to what you were asking Tom before, Caroline, it makes sense that you can't run, well, you could run multiple tests in different parts of the site, but you, you don't want to be running a whole bunch of tests at the same time because then you're not going to know exactly what was the, exactly. the thing that made stuff better. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can divide. So like normally you might, you'd test on pages for SEO testing that have the same template, your product pages. You could run a test on your product pages at the same time as running a different test on your category pages. But if you've got a really large site with loads of products, you've got 100,000 products, you can say, okay, well, we're going to run one test on this 10,000 where mm-hmm. there's 5,000 A's and 5,000 B's and another test on this other 10,000. So you can split it up more um, if you've got the resources and the size of site. Well, And that's the other thing, though, is that if you have people that are coming from a marketing background that are then asked to be doing some of this digital marketing and A-B testing, they may or may not know certain scientific things like sample size. Like I've worked with companies that they did a, they ran an A-B test on something and they said, well, over the period of this test, you know, 321 people preferred this and 211 preferred that. And, and there's just, there's no way that that is enough of a sample size to ever glean anything of importance out of it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so search pilot does the testing, like the measurement for you and make sure you've got the adequate sample size. And But even then, there's the pragmatic view and the dogmatic view of, of doing testing. So for example, you might roll out an SEO change or imagine like Caroline and her team have made some content and we decide to run it through an A-B test and we only get 60% statistical significance, conf- 60% confidence that this is an uplift for SEO. So the, the dogmatic view would be like, well, we haven't reached that 95% figure that we're looking for. But the pragmatic view would be, like, well, we've got a team of experts who said this is good. And it might be that Google can't necessarily fully interpret how good this is because they're mm. ever improving the algorithm. And it might be that there's other effects. Happens all the time, like, actually. Well, there you go. So, and there's other effects, like with the Pepsi challenge and the being bloated, there's other effects. And this is, it touches on what a great point Caroline made earlier about like the, you know, not, not everything is, is just down to the sort of what can be quantified there's also this qualitative factor and it plays to other things like your, your branding etc and many other things well let, let's say caroline has a client and she's interested in potentially doing some a b testing but their their website they don't get a ton of hits it's a smaller client right. could we be in order to get enough of a sample size that we can have some confidence that the changes that we made are are reasonable i guess we could just run the test longer right is that yeah you can run the test longer that's basically like so we find the the time to run a test is dependent on how many pages you've got and how much traffic you've got. But the point stands, the the pragmatic view would be like, we've got 60% confidence, so we don't have enough traffic to get that 95%. We could let it run. But we don't think this is going to be bad for SEO and there's other benefits. So we're much better off rolling this change out now rather than waiting three more weeks to get significance because it allows us to move on to the next thing and test the next thing and make the next improvement. And so, yeah, you've got to sort of balance that dogmatic, pragmatic view. See, I love what SearchPilot is trying to do in this space because it is bringing some reality into... 
the SEO world. I mean, I yeah, almost think but, of SEO is sort of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and that you've got a split. So on the one side, you've got the magic, right? Like uh, Wanda and the uh, Scarlet Witch and uh, the witches that do magic. And on the other side, we've got the, the scientific, right? That's going on here. And I love the fact that you're bringing scientific rigor into the SEO world because I see it from the opposite end so much, Tom. So much that there'll be a client that will come to me and they'll have an SEO quote unquote person either that works there or that they contract with. And it really just seems like this person is making random changes, you know, because yeah. they they heard that if you sacrifice a chicken on the full moon on the 12th month or, or whatever, that it that will rank better. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, and that's why I, I set this at Stonehenge, because it was kind of a little nod to the, yeah. the whole sacrificing <laughs> a chicken thing. But it's it really like I see it all the time where they're just they've got a, a playlist of things that you should do and they don't even know why necessarily. And they don't even measure anything to know whether the changes that they made actually impact anything. And a lot of the time, what I tell my clients is very similar to what Caroline was saying before. And actually what you said in the beginning was that some of these things, I really, you should just focus on having better content, you know, like take the money you're going to give to this SEO person and make your content better. And then once you have solved that problem, then hire someone reputable like search pilot that will come in and give you some real data driven answers to tell you what is working and what is not working. Don't just randomly throw darts at the wall. You know, what do you think about well, that? That's the, that's the, the part, like the, the random, like there are a lot of SEO practitioners. And as you said, it's like fairly random. There's lots of very good, very reputable, very capable SEO companies, agencies, yes. and freelancers out there. But yeah, for, for someone who's not in the SEO world, that is, it's very difficult for a, a layperson to determine is this SEO person reputable or not, unless they're, they're really well known. But Really, well, like, that's why I love that you can measure the results with with Search Pilot. You well, can that, measure whether they did something or not. Well, that's our, that's our whole yeah, that's the, the, our whole whole reason for for being. But yeah. what's a really good sort of point that was buried in there as well is that there's a lot of people. SEOs, myself included, at times you've 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 done you've made some changes on one site, and so you reach the conclusion that these changes are a good change to make to sites for SEO. So you want to go and make the same changes to other sites, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. That's not how the black box of Google works. And we've found this now. We've we run tests before on one site. There was one test that we ran that had a hugely positive impact. It was on an e-commerce retailer in the UK and made them significantly more money. And the change was adding structured markup to their product pages mm. or their category pages, actually. And so then we were like, okay, great. Now we know how to print money. We'll go and do this for our other e-commerce clients. <laughs> but it didn't work. When mm. you tested it, it didn't work. And yeah. this comes back to the point we were making about hypotheses, which is that when in hindsight, we looked at it and we realized the, the client who'd benefited, their HTML was a huge tangled mess. Mm. It was really verbose. It was very difficult to understand and assign any structure to it. There's so many layers of nesting, etc. And so if you consider this from Google's perspective, Google came to these pages and it was hard for Google to necessarily understand what intents does this serve? What, yeah. What's purposes data. And so the structured markup on that page made that much easier for Google. It mm. added a lot of value allowing Google to interpret this page. But when we went and did it on another e-commerce retailer where the HTML was very clean, Google was already able to determine from that clean HTML 
what the page was about. And so the structured markup didn't necessarily add a lot of benefit there. And so the whole point is like, if you went and looked at the hypothesis, we're going to add a structured markup because the content, the HTML is, is pretty dirty that applied to the one site. It didn't apply to the others. And it's very easy for someone who's doing SEO to go and, and do something for one site and think it's going to help other sites when it's not necessarily the case. So what do you think, Caroline? Do you think any of this A-B testing stuff is something that would interest you, perhaps, if it could be done on a scale that could be useful to some of your smaller clients? Absolutely. In fact, we're working with another agency out of Colorado who's practicing A-B testing on one of our clients. So we get to sit back and sort of watch and learn. Um, They're using the Google platform. I'm not sure what its cousin name is called, but it's it's up there in the Google stuff. And it's it's just fascinating to watch the the transactions pile up in some of these tests on one side and not the other. You're just like, how in the world that, like we rounded the buttons on a buy box and suddenly 75% more transactions went through. And we were like, how did we not know about this seven years ago? Well, (laughs) at least you know now. So we've been really sort of floored in our meetings, just looking at the results for them. And that 95% confidence level that you have to get to is sometimes seems really over the top, like 95%, like 92 should be fine. You know, 88 is usually good enough for me in most situations in my life. right? Right. So we get to 95 and, but it gets there. It gets, you know, it goes from 60 to 75 to 82 to 95 and you're like okay the test is done and we have a winner and that's it's just so simple so tom is that confidence rating is that just sample size is that all it is or is it a combination of factors or does it depend on the software right it probably depends on the software yes and it's different for cro versus seo like most ab testing people talk about a cro and there you're just talking about basically how many users can you get to each version of the page and at a certain conversion rate so it is essentially sample size and it essentially is with SEO. I don't think we've got time to get into the maths of the SEO testing, but it works quite differently. But it's essential. The more essentially the more data you get, the more traffic, the easier it's going to be for you to, to reach that. Well Tom, maybe you can help out our friend Patrick here because he I think he might have taken the A B testing a little too far. He's he's doing some A B testing on his wife to see which greeting she finds less annoying. And it's it's not it's not going well, is it Patrick? <laughs> so I, I had a former <laughs> colleague Patrick, what do I say to he's that? He's not what at 95% yet. You got to let the test continue. Well, he's trying. He did an A-B split test of Hey Sweetness and then Hey Sugar Buns. And she didn't find it amusing at all. And he got no data from it. So yeah, we had very clear results. That's really on how interesting. It wasn't even... you, need a bigger, you need a bigger sample size. You need more wives. Uh, oh, my <laughs> No. You're, you're cutting me deep, though, in terms of how I do think about like interactions in an analytical level of, oh, that input triggered this response. Let me try tweaking it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. We're going to be going to conferences again soon. We can try one of each greeting on one of each pot of people that we approach and say hello <laughs> to. I would like to be reinvited back to these conferences, so I don't think I'm going to be greeting anyone by calling them <laughs> no. sugar buns. I mean, you know, just saying. <laughs> Definitely not me. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Patrick, what about you? Do you have any clients that you think something like Search Pilot would be an interesting thing to to try out? Because I like the approach where they've got this, it's all done server side and it's sitting in between your site and the CDN. So you don't even notice any of the performance issues that some of these other tools have. Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, I, I like the idea of, you know, trying to change as few variables as possible. And yeah, you get it right when, you know, we've used a VWO, Visual Website Optimizer. And oh God. It really, yeah, and it can, oh it, you, you load a page and you get this big white flash of oh, what happened. Oh, now I've got the A-B test ready to go for a split test. And um <sighs> 
yeah, just something gave me can... flashbacks to a horrible project <laughs> I worked on that had VWO on it. Oh my god! Sorry, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I, I'm definitely into it. I'm going to take a look. This is uh, my first my first time getting um, exposure to it, but I like what I see. CDN and the, the the server is that we're entirely independent of what your technology stack is because we consume the HTML and we modify that. So it doesn't matter if you're using Django or Shopify or or Craft. Simply doesn't matter. It just also yeah. makes it. Well, we mentioned earlier that Harry Roberts said they had a client that was using their Optimizely as kind of a CMS because they didn't they didn't know how to use it or whatever. I think it might have even been that they were locked out of it or something crazy like that, that they couldn't use it. But you actually have some kind of CMS-ish features built into SearchPilot too. Like, how does that work? What is that for? So basically, it's, it's the same technology that drives the... the the split testing. So the, the split testing, the A-B testing, as I said, we consume the HTML from your server. And then basically the platform allows you to say, okay, I want to modify this part of the, the HTML. So the type the example I was using earlier was adding the price to the title tag. So the platform would allow you to say, okay, well, I'm going to use a CSS selector to target the part of the page where I know the price is. So you've got a product page and you know that the price is in a certain div. You can grab that, put it into a variable, then use that to rewrite the title by adding the price to the title. And so we're just consuming that HTML, modifying it on the fly, pushing it upstream. It also means that if users are seeing slight different variations of that HTML, doesn't matter because we're modifying their version for them. Um, but what that also means is that, you, so you can run this as split tests, but you can also just run this 100% as well as a what we call a global rule. And so sometimes a client will finish a test and get a, a positive result. And so you can just hit the button and it'll roll it out to all of the pages. At this point, we encourage them to go away and add that to their, their back end so it's native yeah. to their site. But some clients, they're like, okay, well, we're, we're going to be updating everything in six months, so we're just going to let SearchPilot keep making that change for us. I'll, I'll, I'll say that we, we deliberately allow people to download at any time all of the changes that we're applying to their site so that they're not sort of locked in. That's not how we want to do things. But yeah, we have got a number of clients who, who are just letting the, the platform make those changes. But because it's server-side, it's totally native to their site. So from users and Google's perspective, it's as though they've made this change to their site in the back end. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I think you call it a meta CMS for the feature yeah, that's added in there. I, you know, I, I wonder if that would be useful as a, a quick way to do user acceptance testing or something like that. You know, if someone wanted to iterate on something quickly and show other people and have them, yeah, that'd be kind of yeah. an interesting way to do it. Yeah, And the, the way the platform works is and would allow you to say, okay, I want to apply this change when there's a certain URL parameter added, for example. So you could very quickly, yeah, do exactly what you're saying. Spin out a slight variation of the page and send people the version with the URL parameter so they can have a look at it and See. Well, very cool. Well, thank you for coming on and talking to us uh, a little bit about what it is actually like to approach SEO from a scientific point of view. But that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe, tell a friend, drop us a review. We really appreciate it. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And I'm Patrick Harrington. And thank you, Caroline Blaker. Thank you. For coming on. And thank you very much for our special guest, Dr. Thomas Anthony from Sur- Thank you very much.
actually have a number of clients that I'm going to be sending your way, Tom, because I think this is, I love the approach that you're taking to this thing. I really do. I mean, the technology is great. It's just, it's expensive at the moment. The, the minimums that we have to charge people just because of the, the technology, like we huge amounts of bandwidth, et cetera, but we're working on bringing it down. Um, and also sort of making the platform easier to use. It's quite powerful, but it's not easy to use. So yeah, I mean, at the moment, it's more expensive than we'd like it to be, but I think we're going in the right direction. So. I've seen some people that are experimenting with using edge workers for doing A-B testing stuff. That sounds pretty interesting too. So yeah, it's, it's quite, uh, you're still recording, so I'm not going to say any secrets, but we- Oh, okay, okay. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. We're going to stop the recording right now.